people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they grew daily in, in numbers. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, he put out to sea and sailed straight to Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there, he, was, he traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, he went outside the city gate to the river, where he expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by whom she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners and by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. God bless the reading of his word. Thanks, Russ. So, we're continuing to make our way through the book of Acts, which uh, will probably wrap up by the end of August. And um, this morning we're in Acts 16. This is uh, what... It's commonly called and referred to as uh, Paul's second missionary journey. And, um, and so we're going to talk about, uh, from this section, the transforming uh, power of the good news. And um, one of the things I like to do is uh, I like to go into these antique malls. Have you all ever been in one of these? Okay, so typically they take like a giant warehouse or something, you know, it's an old uh Walmart that was emptied out or a Kmart or something. And then they go in and they rent out these booths, spaces. And I, I love to go in there. I, it, it, it's, there's something therapeutic about it. Um, there are a couple of places locally. Occasionally, occasionally I'll go in and, and if you ever see me, I'll be pushing a cart. I'll have it full of stuff, other people's junk. And, um, and sometimes what I do is I go in and I push the cart around and I fill it up with stuff and then I just leave it and I walk out. It's, it's like, like, it's like good, like I actually went shopping but I didn't make any purchases so I didn't spend any money. Um, but when you go in these, these malls that are full of this stuff, right, there, some of them, the booths are just, it's junk. 
And so you walk in and you look and it's like they want you to pilfer through and look through, you know, turn this over and pull. But some of them you go in them and what have they done? All you have to do is glance in and you know, okay, this is Elvis memorabilia or baseball card heaven or and, and the reason is because what they've done is they've taken the stuff and they've assigned it. They've put it in place so that all you have to do is look and you can see, you can discern what it is that's going on in the booth. And um, I, I tell you that because what Luke is doing for us in the book of Acts is he's taking pictures, right? And he's putting them in there so that you can see what is happening with respect to, in this case, with the gospel. How is the gospel spreading? And I know we've kind of been on this theme, but but that's what Luke and the, and the Holy Spirit, that's what God wants us to see is how the early church started. Now, one of the things that that does for us is it gives us great confidence in the gospel. The, the gospel's ability to take something that was unformed in terms of its relationship with God, and now it is formed. And so we're going to work our way through uh, through 16, and, and we're going to we'll do it in three headings. The first thing I want you to see as we we think about the transforming good news is that it is liberating. Um, and and there's a couple of parts to this, right? And it, it deals with the Apostle Paul's um, uh, dealings here first with Timothy, and then and then the second part is. What is happening in this missionary journey that he's on, right? Um, so first, right out of the gate, we read that he had made his way to Lystra, um, and there was a disciple there whose name is Timothy. And um, his mother was a Jew, uh, was Jewish and, and a believer, and his father was Greek. And so uh, Paul wants to take him along on the journey, and so what, what does he do? He has Timothy circumcised. Now, for some of you, that's not going to mean anything. But for some of you, I hope you, you kind of rewind the clock to last week. Because last week, um, we had the Jerusalem Council. And uh, and essentially, the idea was that there, there was a question. There were people that had gone out from Jerusalem. They had made their way to, to different churches. And they were teaching that. For Gentiles to really be right with God, they had to trust in Christ by faith and they had to be circumcised and they had to follow the dietary restrictions and the various dietary laws and and, and rules for living that the Jews themselves held to. And so that, that was that was creating conflict. And, and so you'll remember that Peter and Paul and Barnabas, they, they go back to Jerusalem. They gather all of the apostles and, and significant leaders in the church. And they say, listen, we have got to figure this out. We can't keep kind of meandering. You know, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. What is it? And so out of the Jerusalem council, remember, came the letter. And the letter said what? You are saved by faith just as we are. Trust in Christ. That was the end. They gave some other guidance, and the, and the other guidance was, oh, and by the way, you'd do really well if you abstained uh, from eating meat and, and uh, animals that were strangled and offered to idols. And, and what they were saying was, listen, 
that, that's just going to go a long way. That'll be mileage uh, for you and helping you get along with your Jewish brothers and sisters. Because they're going to abstain from it. So go ahead and do that as well. And that will assist you uh, as you all unify around the gospel. Now, now we find out that Paul is on this missionary journey. And as he begins to wait, make his way across what is modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor, he runs in, he meets this, this young man, his name is Timothy, he has a Jewish mother and a Greek father, and he hasn't been circumcised, and what does Paul do? He circumcises him. And you're scratching your head, you're going, okay, hold on a second. I didn't think he had to do that, and he doesn't have to do that. But Paul understands that a significant portion of his audience in each of these locations that he goes into are going to be what? Jewish. And so as not to confuse them and to cause this to be a stumbling block for them so that they would hear the gospel and not have all kinds of other issues rattling around in their brain, Paul says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to circumcise Timothy and we'll take the issue off the table. It doesn't have anything to do with Timothy's salvation. It doesn't have anything to do with the way in which you're made right with God. That's not what Paul's thinking. Paul's thinking pragmatically. And what he's saying is Let's not let this be an issue. And so he is free. He's he, The gospel is liberating at this point for the Apostle Paul because what it lets him do is he's not all bound up in the rules and restrictions. He's just saying, how can we make our message? How can it be heard? And let's do those things that will just eliminate issues and make it so that our audience is able to focus on the message. And so it liberated the Apostle Paul. He knows the gospel. He's teaching the gospel. He's going to be presenting the gospel. In this instance, he's so liberated that the message gives him the freedom to do some things that might otherwise be uh, misconstrued in order for the gospel message to go forward. John Newton said, uh, the great hymn writer, he said to the Apostle Paul, Paul was a reed when it came to non-essentials and an iron pillar when it came to essentials. Don't tinker with the gospel with the Apostle Paul. What does he say? If anyone, if an angel in heaven were to preach another gospel, let him be accursed. Let him be cut off. In this instance, Paul's not dealing, he's dealing with non-essentials, and, and he simply wants the message to be heard. And so from that standpoint, um, we read and we see that he was liberated with respect to how to go about presenting the message. The second thing is, in this text, is that here is the Apostle Paul moving across Asia Minor. And, and as he makes his way across modern-day Turkey, he gets more no's from the Spirit of God than he gets yeses. Just, just, just look, right? Paul and his companions, verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region to Phrygia, Galatia, and, and having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So, no number one. Not gonna, he, he, Completely, the, the rug, if you will, is pulled out from under him. He's not able to preach the gospel there. When he came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. No, number two, not coming here. 
And so they moved on and they passed by Mesha and they went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And one of the things that this is significant, because what we're seeing in Paul's in this missionary journey is that sometimes a no is as powerful as a yes. And as you work your way through life and ministry, sometimes those no's are just as powerful, just as meaningful, and just as significant in your life as the yeses are. In this instance, those no's get the Apostle Paul all the way over to Greece and a place where his ministry is going to be fruitful. If those no's don't happen, there's a chance we don't get First and Second Corinthians, First and Second Thessalonians. There's a chance that some of those letters aren't written unless the Apostle Paul is is forbidden from doing ministry here in Asia Minor and moved on to Greece. One of my favorite pastors uh, tells a story, and, and the story is that this young woman and this man, husband and wife, they came into his office, and and they had they had taken French all the way through high school and college, and that was one of the items that kind of brought them together, and they'd met and they'd married, and the desire of their heart was they wanted to they wanted to use their French-speaking abilities um, for the gospel. And so they had this opportunity, and they were trying to work their way through the will of God. Uh, they wanted to go to France, and they were going to be missionaries in France, which sounds all glorious and everything until you go to France and you realize how difficult the gospel ministry is there. But, but anyways, nonetheless, that was their desire. So they wanted to know, it, what's the Lord's will for this, right? And, and so this pastor sits down with them and he, and he kind of just worked his way. He said, look, you know, you guys doing basically, are you, are you living according to the revealed will of God and his word, right? The things that he asks us to do. And yes, yeah, you know, they checked, kind of checked all those boxes. And he says, then just set your hearts on whatever it is that you want. If you want to go to France, set your heart on France and go. So he left his office, and a couple of years later, they contact him, and they they let him know that, you know, thank you for your ministry to us and for helping us find our way through all of that. We are now living in Quebec, Canada, French-speaking Quebec, and we're ministering there. We're using our French in Canada. All right, great example of how the Lord uses no's, no to France, yes to Quebec, okay? And in this sense, in this instance, that's what has gone on with the Apostle Paul. And, and he's freed from being bogged down and, and locked down into some sort of, you know, listen, I'm here, let's force this, let's make it happen. Instead, he listens to the promptings of the Spirit, and he finds himself all the way now over in Greece, there prepared to minister. So those are just, as you kind of begin, the, the vignettes from the Apostle Paul's life, from the way in which he's going about ministry. And he's liberated to go and to do that ministry of the gospel and to do it freely in Christ. So let's look at, um, let's look at this, uh, the second point. Um, and that is the transforming good news is humbling. So here are the Apostle Paul and their companions. They've traveled all the way across modern-day Turkey. It's a long journey. I've actually made that journey. Um, 
And, uh, and even by automobile today in Turkey, it's long. They're, they're on foot. They're making their way, uh, town to town to town. Um, it, it would have taken a, a significant amount of time and, w- and would have been a long journey. But they've made it. And now they're in, in Greece and they find themselves in the, the city of Philippi. And they're going to stay there. The text says they stayed there a few days. And then on the Sabbath day, the day of worship, which um, normally in, in a place like this, it would have taken ten men to have had a synagogue. And, and the fact that there are women and they're down by the river and they're studying um, scripture down there and, and they're you know kind of working, they're having a, a prayer time and that sort of thing, tells us that there just weren't enough men in this locale uh, for them to have um, a, a synagogue. And so the Apostle Paul, we read, and, um, and Timothy, I guess, they go out and they make their way down to this location where they are um, having this prayer time. And, and, uh, and, and they encounter this group of women that are there. And the text tells us that they, that they, they begin to, uh, to teach them. Um, we sat down, verse 13, we began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Verse 14, and one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia. And she was a dealer of purple cloth. Now, let's just stop there. So Paul has traveled across Asia Minor. He's been told no by God at least twice and to keep on moving. He makes his way to Greece. He's now in Philippi. They've been there several days. Their first, the, the vignette that Luke gives us, okay, that picture that is kind of set there for us to see, to really take notice of, is a women's Bible study down by the river. You may think, fantastic, what a great opportunity for the Apostle Paul. Only this is, listen, 2,000 years ago. The the women's lib movement hasn't happened yet. Women in this day and time, in this culture, were not significant. And so his opportunity, his real first gospel moment, is, is a women's prayer meeting. This isn't exactly what would have probably supercharged the, uh, the, you know, a young Timothy and some other folks. Hey, you know, come and do ministry. Come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. All those sorts of great things. And oh, by the way, <coughs> we're going to spend weeks and weeks and weeks traveling in order to get to Philippi. And the first real gospel ministry that you're going to have is a group of women down by the river. The only thing worse would have been that they were living in a van down by the river. Forget it. That's some of you may get that, but um, but there they are down by the river, and that is their gospel intersection. You are the apostle Paul. L- listen, he is probably one of the most significant figures in all of human history. Think about this. This guy, this apostle, nearly single-handedly, 
by the work of the, you know, the Spirit in his life, turned the world upside down. His letters, show me someone else whose letters are studied word by word by word by millions, millions of people. That's two movie references in about two minutes. Okay. Um, millions of people around the globe study his letters every single day. Anybody else know someone whose writings are read and studied as much as his? No. He is a real somebody. And here he is, a a small band of women down by the river. And that is his gospel ministry opportunity. So years ago, Jody and I were in a college ministry. And the mode that day, kind of the hot way of doing ministry with college kids when back in the early 90s was that you wanted to find the star football player. You wanted to find the, the star cheerleaders. You wanted to find the, uh, the presidents of the sororities and the fraternities. And you wanted to minister to them with the goal of, right, finding these significant people who would then attract less significant people. Does that make sense? And, and so that was kind of the, that was kind of the ministry, uh, goal. You know what? You know what always happened every time me and my friends, we would go out and we would kind of the goal of sharing the gospel. I never once met a fraternity president whose heart was open, ready and willing to hear the gospel. It was always the plebe. You know? It was always this person who was struggling, who was down and out. And, and, and those were the people that God seemed to be calling to himself. And in this passage, he's down there by the river with this group of women. Does he walk away? Does he go, you know, we're headed to, I'm, I'm going to City Hall. Let's go to City Hall where the movers and shakers are because if we can reach them, then we'll reach others. No, that's not what he does. He goes down to the river and he ministers the gospel to these women. And, and here is the real part that just kind of grabs you. Paul shared his message. She was a God-fearer. The text says a worshiper of God, but, but she was a God-fearer. She was kind of in that halfway house. She wasn't Jewish. Uh, she, she wasn't really on board yet with um, trusting in Christ alone. She was somewhere in the middle. We would call it person kind of a seeker. And what happens? Paul convinces her, Right? Know what the text says? Paul argued persuasively with her. He shared with her. He, he put the screws to her. He let her know, right? It's make a decision right now. No, he shared the gospel with her. And what does the text say? The Lord opened her heart. The Lord opened her heart. You want to be humbled in ministry? Know this. You are a clay pot Carrying the gospel treasure of the Lord Jesus. And he's the one that does the work. Paul was faithful to go to the river that day. Faithful to share the message with those women. 
and her transformation is remarkable, right? Uh, the Lord opens her heart. She responds to Paul's message, verse 15, when she and the members of her household were baptized. Okay, so the indication either is, um, if you're good Reformed Presbyterian folk, that they were included with her in her faith. Okay, or she went back and she shared the gospel with her family, who then responded positively. But regardless, um, somehow that transformation takes place. She then opens her home. She invites them in. Uh, and says, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And then there's another phrase right there, and she persuaded us. That gospel transformation is nearly immediate in Lydia's life. How humbling is to know. We carry that gospel message, we can share it, we can argue for it, we can present all manner of evidence, and in the end, you have to trust that the Lord is going to be the one to open their heart, because He's the one that does it. Here's the third and final point, and that is that the transforming good news is bewildering. And here's what I mean. Here's what I mean by the fact that it's bewildering. The next section of Scripture is is I, I'll just tell you it's weird, okay? It's a little strange, especially to our kind of modern mind, where um, in so many circles there is no such thing as evil. Um, this text is challenging for us, so so let's just look at it. Um, they are uh, verse sixteen. They were going to the place of prayer. Um, and as they were going, they were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. And so as they went around and they went from place to place, this young girl followed them. And, and all the while, and thank you, Russ, for kind of giving the context there, with a loud voice, she was saying, <laughs> these men, right, um, these men... Uh, are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. So, I kind of like, in, in my head, I kind of liken it to, uh, if you've ever been to like a, a pro golf tournament or something, you know, and they kind of, they're walking around with the signs, this is Phil Mickelson or whatever, you know, and, uh, and so she was just announcing to everybody in a, in a loud, ecstatic kind of a voice, um, who Paul and these guys were. And Paul becomes annoyed. Now, Let's let's get a little backstory. And and here's the backstory. The backstory is that the text actually tells us when it when it says that she had a spirit by which she predicted the future. The actual is she had the spirit of Pythia or the spirit of the python which is like really again I I told you the text is strange, okay? But all of this goes back to several hundred years prior to this. At Delphi, there was the Temple of Delphi. And the Temple of Delphi was a place you would go if you wanted to have your fortune read for you or spoken for you. Okay, And so, strangely, what would happen is you would go to the... If you were a person of means, you would go to that temple. Uh, and the god of the Temple of Delphi was Apollos. And there you would go with the hopes that um, the priestess 
who was there at the temple would listen to the God of Apollo, and then he, she would bring the message to the priests who were ministering at the temple of Delphi. And I know, I, I see the looks, you're like, what in the world, okay? But typically what would happen is they would, they would get a young female, and they would bring her, they would starve her for several days, um, and there was a place at the temple of Delphi, there was a rock where um, uh, steam, you know, gases would come up out of the rock. And, and so what would happen is they would starve her uh, for several days, she would be kept sleepless for several, several days, and, um, and then when someone would come and they would be asking for, for their fortune to be read or the, the future to be told, she would go and she would put her head down in that rock and she would breathe in all of that, those gaseous fumes. And then she would speak wild ecstatic utterances and the priests would take notes. And then they would pass on your future. You with me? Okay, strange. Fast forward a couple of hundred years. And someone who was able to speak your future, to tell your future. And listen, the text tells us that she had the spirit of the python. So there was some evil spirit that would inhabit a person that would, that would give them some degree of disability. And that's what she had. She had the ability to speak the future, but, but probably it was in some wild, you know, utterances and everything, and then her handlers would do the translating work, and they would give out your fortune, but you had to pay for it. And they made money off of her, and she would have, she would have been some, the text, the language in the text tells us she's probably, she's a young girl, she's 10 to 14. And that's what she does, is she runs around, and, and she gets paid very little by her handlers, and they make great wealth off of her. She has no voice in the community. She's a street girl. And she's controlled by this spirit. And so, at just the, the right moment for her, as she's following Paul and his companions, making her noise, the text says that Paul became annoyed. He was tired of it. And in his annoyance, what does he do? He turns to her and he commands the Spirit in the name of Jesus to leave her. And what happens? At that moment, the Spirit left her. Verse 19. When her owners realized their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. We'll talk about that next week. But I want you to see, think about this. Remember the booths, right? Remember walking into a booth in the antique marketplace, and some of them are just filled with all kinds of clutter. And some of them are neatly arranged for you so that you can see the pictures. 
What is Luke doing? Is Luke just throwing a bunch of stories in there? Absolutely not. No doubt there were other people that came to faith in Philippi. We, we know there were other people. There are house churches spring up. There are letters that are written back. There's, there are lots of things going on. So why does Luke take these vignettes and put them there, place them there specifically for you to see, for me to see, for us to see? What is it in a story of a slave girl who runs around speaking in ecstatic utterances because she has a, the spirit of the python living in her? What in the world can we Learn from that. What can we learn from Lydia? Who, who, oh, by the way, was a seller of purple cloth. She was an ancient boutique women's clothing salesperson. That's what she did. And her clientele would have been high-end people, people that had money because purple cloth was the cloth of royalty. And so if you were looking for some really nice cloth, she was the one you went to. And you paid a premium price for her wares. And so she had some sort of a social standing, but she was a woman. So she was, you know, whatever that glass, the glass ceiling was much lower then than it is now. And But Luke is giving us these pictures, and what he wants us to see is, wow, first, the gospel is for everyone. That is, that, that, that is for us. That has to be, it, it has to break through into our hearts to know how amazingly significant that is, that women were the ones in this passage that Luke is highlighting, that they were coming to faith. And then women from such different economic strata, women like Lydia, the seller of purple cloth, who who the Apostle Paul argues and, and presents the prophets and law in such a meaningful way, right? He sat down, he reasoned with them, he shared the gospel with them. And then another picture, right, in which he meets the street girl, who is running around babbling in ecstatic utterances. And what does he do? He, in, in an act of frustration, he speaks to her and her life is transformed as he calls the demon out in the name of Jesus. Two different women, two different locations, two different lifestyles, two different backgrounds. They, they couldn't be more different. And yet... Christ was for them. That is the transforming power of the gospel. One of these women we would move towards, the other we would run from. Yet Christ died for both of them. And Luke wants us to know their story. He wants us to see how the good news transforms all kinds of people from all walks of life. I love the I love the story that you shared telling us about the man from China who comes here to study and he gets a Bible help me understand the Ethiopian eunuch right here I'm reading this can you give some context to it Luke is presenting these little vignettes of God's grace 
And as I, as I think about that, as I look out and I see you, as I think about my own life, I think about the way in which the gospel has worked in each of you. As you have trusted in Christ, you are a vignette of God's grace. He is writing a story, His big story with all of us, and little particular individual stories with each of you. Think about that. Every single one of you, a vignette of God's grace. He called you to Himself, and He is writing a part of the the grand story with you and your story. What does it look like? What is that story? What is the next chapter? Where where will you reach out? Who, Who will you talk to? Who will you share the gospel with? A group of women down by the river? In a coffee shop? At the gym, where are you going to write the next chapter of the story? His grace is that amazing. It changes people all over the place. Exactly the way it changed you and the way it changed me. That is the transforming good news that Luke wants us to see. Where is the next chapter to be written? in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the good news. Thank you for the picture that Luke has given to us and the way in which the gospel transformed Paul. The way in which the gospel transformed Lydia, the slave girl, the jailer, the eunuch. Father, thank You that our lives are now a part of this grand story as You've worked in us. And I pray, Father, that if there's anyone here this morning who hasn't met that transforming good news, that they would hear it. The power of Your Spirit this very day. That they would know that transformation. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. And sing our last hymn. 699, like a river glorious.